In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. We are live, ladies and gentlemen, here with the one and only Sebastian Marincolo. He is a, uh, for those that don't know, just give me a moment to introduce this incredible individual, a true Renaissance soul who's journeyed through the realms of philosophy and linguistics and the intricacies of the mind has illuminated new paths of understanding. I was just telling him how lucky I am to be sitting here with in my opinion, one of the four most intelligent scholars on the world of the cannabinoid system, altered states of consciousness, philosophy. I'm so stoked to be here. That's a, that's a pretty good intro, man. Why? That's fair enough, right? I uh, I am still I'm still in shock. You know, it's the third time, and every time I sit here like a little animal <laughs> that's uh, on the street, and there's there's some bright lights <laughs> approaching past, like oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic man thanks uh well you know um i uh, let me just comment on that i i i'm definitely not one of the foremost uh <laughs> intelligent people on the cannabinoid system endocannabinoid system i mean I, I i did what i could uh to wrap my head around it but um but i think i have a special angle because yeah. on on the whole um field of um, altered states of consciousness and the cannabis high because I'm coming from a philosophical background, from a neurophilosophical background where a, a tradition, analytical tradition in philosophy that looks at, at integrating um, <clears throat> uh, neuroscientific knowledge and all kinds of knowledge from the cognitive sciences to uh, the philosophical conceptual analysis and tries to come to to a new understanding of a certain phenomena so so i think that's what i brought to the table and also my stubbornness that um you know allowed me to do this for more than 20 years now yeah it's um there's something to be said about moving forward in the face of adversity, you know, and, and um, I think that you've, you've done that on, on many occasions and it, it shows, I think that it, 
I think that there's something to be tied to people that move through life when adversity comes and thinking through problems that other people won't think through. There's, there's like a parallel there. You know what I mean? Like some people get to a point where like, okay, I'm not going to, I can't solve it. I'm not going to work on it anymore. It's the same type of person that gets to a certain point in life and kind of gives up. But I, I think you're the, the complete opposite of that. But yeah, I want to introduce this book to the, to the people watching or listening. And maybe you're familiar with it, but it's called Altered States of Consciousness by Zinberg. And it was written like in the sixties. It's mind blowing, man. And I've, I've written down a few questions in here and just, just a few little concepts and stuff. And I just want to start off with one and kind of get your point on it and see what you think about yeah. it here. The concept of transitions from normalcy to altered states of consciousness. Like for some of us, whether it's through cannabis or psychedelics, there's this transition state. Like what do you, what's happening in that state? Are you have any thoughts on that? I mean, we are very often in transitional states, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> um, everything is a transition, basically. And uh, I would, uh, you know, I thought about exactly that um, normalcy yesterday. And um, I'm not sure, um, is, is it normalcy? Is it normal to be rationally thinking in a logic? I mean, what what is actually the normal state? And I believe after all those years that <clears throat> normal is to transition mm -hmm. and normal is to oscillate between various states of consciousness. That is what our brain is built to do. So we're not built to be logical, rational thinking machines in the verbal mode, you know, surfing on concepts and language. We're going back and forth between states that are <clears throat> um, uh, trans, uh, ecstasy, sexual, sexual ecstasy, mm -hmm. or other kinds of ecstasy. We are absorbed in the virtual space. We are, we have those states where we are just amazed by a landscape or we marvel and we're half we we're asleep we're dreaming we're 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 going back and forth between various states of consciousness and um yeah of course um today in the modern world we live in we're trying to be mostly in a state in which we are rationally argumenting and thinking and conscious and awake uh so you could characterize that as the normal state but still, even in that state where sometimes we're very much absorbed in in an image or looking at something and during work, we're going back and forth between various states. So so <clears throat> I, I challenge that idea a little bit because I think we talked about that last time I mentioned that the rational reconstruction error is mm. that we reconstruct our being and our nature from a standpoint of rational reconstruction from from the rational um uh point and then we we, we expand that and we, we say that that is us no, well not no that is not us we are eight eight hours in the night we are dreaming which is a weird state <laughs> and uh, and of course um we have all kinds of other states and if you think about it those I mean, most of those states are built in. Dreaming is not doesn't yeah. come because we take a substance. Usually, it comes because the brain, uh, when the light goes away and it has a natural cycle, 
uh, circadian cycle, sleep cycle, it, it falls into that state and it transitions into that state. And of course we have like half, we're half asleep and those are different states also and tra transitional states. Um, and uh, so, so these are built in, the, our brain is made to do that. And I think um, dreaming, it's for, for instance, is a really interesting discussion in philosophy. What is dreaming good for? Does it have an evolutionary advantage? Mm. Uh, and I'm talking not about the fact that we're sleeping, but the fact that we're dreaming, that we are having experiences during, the, during sleep. Is it, is it advantageous? Does it have a function or not? Do we maybe take stock and, you know, go look at our experiences and try to reevaluate them? Or are we looking forward? Are we imagining situations to avoid situations of which we're afraid, etc.? So those altered states, A, they are built in to a certain degree, some of them. And they are there uh, to help us um, manage to survive in the world and to perceive the world and I, and that's why i think induced altered states of consciousness mm -hmm. um like trance or uh like a, a tr an lsd trip or a cannabis high can also be very helpful because they <clears throat> they shift our attentional patterns or our perceptual our perception etc to um, to places where we can see things that we would usually not see or understand things or generate or or you know enhance our creativity or enhance our imagination etc. So um, so um, transition yeah transition is a really interesting um, uh, thing to look at when it comes to those states mm -hmm. um, when we transition between those states and I I think it's also an interesting um concept to look at integration so you know from mm -hmm. ayahuasca retreats right. or lsd that there are people there who helping you to integrate your experiences that you had during the trip uh into your normal life or into the rest of your life i uh, from the social sciences i would um actually I would like you to think about the term inclusion, which is uh, more interesting than integration, because integration usually means that you have something and you want to make that fit what you already have. You know, you have people that come from a different country and you want to integrate them in your system, which means like they speak a different language. They have to now speak your language. They speak mm -hmm. or they have different manners. They, you know, they should be integrated. They need to fit the paradigm. Um, and uh, inclusion means that you understand that the system is bigger than your system in which you want to integrate things. And I think that is very important also when we talk about altered states of consciousness is that we shouldn't think of we are living a normal life in that normal state of consciousness or in that type of state of consciousness that we, we choose now to uh, call normal. And then we we integrate whatever dreams or our cannabis high or our right. LSD highs or psilocybin trips, etc., with somebody helping us. But I think we should understand that those states of sexual trance or ecstasy or states of or LSD trips or dreaming, they belong to our nature. They are so this is an inclusive view where you understand that this is not something that needs to be squeezed into something else. 
And of course it makes, but it makes sense then. And I think that we need to come up with a different concept then um, um, to, to look at those transitional states and to understand um, how much can I bring from one state to the other mm. and how, how much, how, how can I make them work together? Yeah. And I, and this goes both ways. See, I, I met a, a, like a, a while ago, I met some younger guys and um, who told me that they're planning their parties when they get high on cannabis, that they have a, an exact game plan what they're doing you know they're cooking a meal and they're playing certain games and they th then they discuss things so this is how you import from maybe a rational reconstruction from your knowledge about the high you can actually use that like what i did the bigger plan was that that's why i was interested is the art of the high in my book right. how do you, how do you use your knowledge of the high and cannabis and cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system etc and my research yeah. to get more out of a high so that's the import from the rational standpoint to maybe to your um high high state where you say okay i'm, I'm structured that a little bit to maybe get go on a better surfing trip and the other way it could but but it could also go the other way around then to you know you try to import from the high or from an lsd trip something into your normal life where you one of my basic um, tips is um, things that I advise is to just keep a notebook, mm. keep a notebook and, and change your attitude, which is really important because if you change your attitude towards your high or your trip and you value those states as yeah. something that could be valuable um, then uh, and could bring insights, creative ideas um, and real um and could have a real impact on your personal development, then, you know, then you're going to do, then you act differently. And so maybe you just write down a sentence or write down an idea that you have while you're or high and later you look at it and you're like, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> or, <laughs> totally. Which, happens, which yeah. happens a lot. Yeah. Or you're like, holy cow, you know, now I've found the key right. to save my marriage. Yep. Uh, because I I understand now that I'm always acting aggressively when my wife says blah blah of something, right. etc. You know you, you get those ideas during a high, but they they go away if you don't uh, if you don't have a game plan. So so your question really is a great one. How do we transition between those states, and how much do we import right. from one state to the other? And how how do we and that and then that's the central concept to my thinking and to cognition in general. How do we balance those states? Because if you if you are too rash if you, if you try to live your life too much in the rational, if you try to push everything out that's that you consider irrational, you know, like sleep or and which we're all doing, uh, we're not having enough sleep, or you don't want to have your ecstasy or your trance states or your other states in which you are just uh, floating with your mind in a state that's not not rational structured with right. logical thinking uh it's going to come back at you because that's not what we're built for and so you need a balance and if you're trying to be all the time in you know in an ecstasy state um like i've seen in the, in the club scenes you know with people who sure. are taking um 
you're taking MDMA all the time, etc. That's not going to make you happy in the long run either. So you need a balance there. And and that's a, that's a very important point about um, altered states of, of consciousness. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I was speaking with someone yesterday and they were talking about an altered state of... I think that they were speaking on like mystical states and, and what they had mentioned to me is that in what they had found in their experience is that they're able to be outside themselves. But the way they explained it to me was like, they feel as if they become part of the consciousness outside themselves. Thus they can see what's inside themselves. And I've bumped up against that too in my time where, you know, all of a sudden you get this third person perspective about George and you're like, Whoa. And that makes it a lot easier. It makes it a lot easier to manage real problems of abuse or you know things that may be difficult in your life that have a lot of weight behind and when you can see it from that third person perspective all of a sudden there's there's no there's none of the guilt there's none of the shame it's just this oh this has happened to george at this time it's not his fault he should probably get over that and it, and it allows you to be outside <clears throat> yourself a little bit like what what the, what how, what is that are, are we becoming are we touching base with a giant container that's outside of ourselves or how would you put that into words in a better way i believe that is a combination and by the way mark davis hello what's up mark we love you buddy he's the yeah. unsung hero of cannabis man this guy has been yeah. people for so long he's um basically responsible to get me to you also uh yeah <laughs> hi mark and happy new year great yep. to have you in here um uh yeah so how do we i mean i worked on the uh phenomenon of enhanced introspection during a high a lot and if you look at so how do you step outside how do right. you gain introspective knowledge about yourself and how do you step outside yourself and look and, and see oh yeah. holy cow uh, and uh, i think as with many other higher cognitive abilities like empathic understanding and enhanced empathic understanding that we've already touched on, introspection comes probably from a combination of many other enhancements. Mm. So <clears throat> cognitive enhancements during a high. So let me, let me just mention a few. Um, a would be an enhancement of episodic memory. So if you, if I, I give you an example, let's say, let's say a friend comes to you and tells you he just uh, broke up with his wife and they had been together for 20 years. Now, <clears throat> your reaction will be dependent on whether you can uh, relate to that experience and understand his pain and that is probably also dependent on on your own uh, experience of pain in the past. Maybe maybe a breakup with your girlfriend or with your wife or with with a friend. Um, and if that is like in your case, if, if a big breakup was 15 years ago, you know, the question is how far, how deep can you get into your state back then? Mm. How far can you really? And you're like. And and if if a high can really take you back and transport you back to that state, you're gonna be like, oh my, okay, under oh, I understand what that means to you now because for me it kind of like it shattered my world. 
and um, and instantly you you will be able to empathically understand. So in introspection, that is very similar. If I ask you, George, are you a courageous person? Um, you will probably also access distant memories. You know, you will be like, um, okay, how? You know, how did I act when I was 12, when that guy started to beat up the, the girl and, you know, in the classroom, did I actually make a move or did I sit there and was like, just afraid that he would beat me too. And you're going through your episodic memory. So it's not like you have a billboard in your brain that says you turn around your eyes and I ask you, are you courageous? And you turn around your eyes and you Great. go, yeah, it says courageous, uh, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm a 10 when it comes to courageous. <laughs> so how do you actually rate your, how do you introspect? How do you find out about yourself? How do you do that? It, it certainly has to, to do with, um, with memory, but also it could be uh, what could help is imagination. So mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm asking you, are you courageous? You might imagine, you know, um seeing somebody hanging from the roof and he's or she's uh, almost falling down and you'd have to help her by whatever i mean you or would i jump from a bridge for instance you imagine would i jump from a bridge if i had to you know if i had to save the guy in the river and you're going to be like <clears throat> no sorry but it's just cold <laughs> and I, I i'd be afraid so that would help you um, that would help you to introspectively give me an answer to whether you are courageous or not. So we have imagination in here. We have episodic memory in here. We also have pattern recognition because if you are able to race through your mind and your, your memory and look for similar, because here we are looking for similarities. What are courageous actions? So you're looking for in your episodic memory for situations where you would have to act courageously. And, and so that, that needs um, a certain kind of pattern recognition where you are able to associatively race through your mind, through your memories and to find those, those situations. And um, so, so I think in my work, I have tried to piece together um, how various cognitive functions are affected during a high and how they could come together to then actually in combination affect the highest uh, highest cognitive abilities we know, which are empathic understanding, um, having insights like creative insights, mm -hmm. creative creativity uh, and introspection and pattern recognition. So these are um, some of the most uh, complicated and and th they are very core to our our human being. You know what we find that's what we're good at, and all these seem to be enhanced. You know, it when we talk about empathy and enhancement and altered states of consciousness, I'm reminded of a book that Chris Ryan wrote when he talks about grasshoppers and locusts, and, he, and in this particular passage, he talks about how when the grasshoppers find themselves in a bunch and they reach a certain critical mass, they begin to change forms and they actually become the locust where they can start swarming and they almost, they change their behaviors. I think they actually, they may actually even change their form somewhat. And it makes me think like, 
is it possible that when we are all together in a group in an altered state of consciousness that we change the way we think as a group is there is there something else happening or that can happen in that state like if if you and I sit down with a certain form of hash and we get to a certain level can we communicate at a different level than we could if we weren't using that altered state of consciousness or in that altered state of consciousness? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, here's an example. Okay. Um, and, and that's very telling. I wrote an essay about it in 2006 and I published an essay about uh, a conference. Did we talk about that? Albert Hoffman's conference when he turned 100 years old. Uh, that was in Basel in Switzerland. <clears throat> so, uh, Albert Hoffman, I didn't, I didn't see him, by the way, because I went at a day, it was like three days, a convention in, uh, in the conference center, and I, I missed him. Uh, I was only there for, the, I think, the last day. But it was interesting because there was a podium discussion on how <clears throat> LSD and other substances affected um, the, the 60s and the, everything that happened in the 60s with the civil rights movement mm -hmm. and the hippies, etc. So the question was, uh, was there a development that led to then them taking LSD or was LSD and cannabis part of mm. the society or help, did it help society break up and to break the rules and to turn into some transform into something different and to be more peaceful, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it was a vivid discussion. After that discussion, there was the Akasha project <clears throat> with uh, Christian Rech, who sadly mm. died. Um and um, and it was really interesting because it was a conference center, and um, I think there were like 800 people in it, a Swiss uh, trade fair conference center, and they were all sitting at, and there was this podium discussion, and afterwards there was this concert which was kind of tribal electronic, and um, I remember because the conference was really uh there were all kinds of people there i mean there were artists scientists a lot of uh, all from the psychedelic world all kinds of groups a lot of scientists but also younger people etc so they were all sitting there and <clears throat> and uh, i remember at some point after like 15 minutes 20 minutes a little group of people just young clubbers started to dance and i looked around and i thought oh yeah that's that's nice, but it's kind of, you know, weird. And then uh, 15, I'd say 15 to 20 minutes later or half an hour later, everybody danced in this room. Everybody danced. And it was as if there was a, a grid, an a invisible grid holding everybody until a certain point. And it mm -hmm. started to kind of shake. These people, these young people started, you know, in that grid, something started to shake and then everything, everything broke up and it started, there, there was a completely different level of communication where people suddenly lost their inhibitions and they would dance together. And, um, and uh, I thought that's such a fascinating thing to observe because we just talked about that happening in the sixties and uh, and uh, what affected what? And I think yes, um, um, cannabis, a cannabis high, but also other altered states can totally change the way people think and and relate to each other 
because it's not only it doesn't uh, only affect our cognitive style of thinking makes us more associative or imaginative or creative but also mm-hmm. it affects <clears throat> to a certain degree uh, i mean it, it depends on the dosing but it can affect sure. uh, your inhibitions you know you're losing your inhibitions you're many people are losing their anxiety i mean if it gets too high if you're overdose you're too anxious again but but if you are it um if you know what you're doing you can completely change um uh, how a group acts, which and yeah. and that can be really helpful, and that's why I believe also that psychedelic substances as well as cannabis may play a crucial role in in what's coming now, um, because the world is on a downward spiral now, mm-hmm. and. Um, and we we desperately need impulses that you know turn it around, and uh, um, psychedelic substances could be a part of it, but it's not going to be like Timothy Leary thought. It would be you know just drop a million pills on the society and it's going to help. Um, I'm afraid we learned that from the 60s. I mean, it, it's it's a bitter lesson to learn because I think many people thought, okay, you just you know just let it just open up the path and uh, uh, and legalize those substances or, you know, drop them on the population. It's all going to be okay. Um, no. Uh, so we need an intelligent, uh, we need intelligent regulations around those substances. Uh, I mean, I'm totally for legalizing in the sense of regulating those substances mm-hmm. and decriminalizing them and ending the prohibition, of course, but it's we sh- we shouldn't just think that ending the prohibition alone would be uh, uh, the path uh, the best path we can take. It's 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 one measure, but then we need intelligent education and sensible drug policies around um, those substances. Sometimes I wonder that you know when I look at the medical container in which psychedelics find themselves in. I don't know that there's a better one, but but it's it seems it seems uh, that when the instrument becomes institutionalized, it loses its ability to work effectively. You know, so when yeah. we, when we when we take psychedelics and we put them into this, okay, you have to have this doctor, you have to have these people around you. And the example that I use is psychedelics for PTSD it's everywhere and so it's for right. veterans it's for this but it's for way more than that oh yeah and you know what i mean and we just we're just putting it in this we're just shining this very narrow light on it probably right. because that's the only way you, you can really make money at it from this point of view but is it going to escape out of there or <clears throat> what can we do or what are you excited about or, or w- looking forward what's on the horizon that we can get excited about to kind of break it free from this container or should we yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I believe that it's not only money. Um, it, it is money, but it's also, uh, and it's it's money not only because some people want to make money, because those people who are trying very often have good intentions. Making money is not not a bad thing. Right. If you if you help people with it, yes. uh, uh, you, you want to be able to live on that. Otherwise, you can't do it. The problem is, of course, that there are... <clears throat> incredible incredibly strong 
uh, lobbies now. And I always tell people for cannabis and also that that's also holds for the psychedelics. They are the, their problem is that they are so versatile and that they are so useful because you, you think, well, if they would be so useful and versatile and uh, medically, if, if they would have such a broad application um, spectrum and if they would be useful for so many indications that it couldn't be that they would be um, prohibited. Yeah, yes, it can be. We know that now. And that is also the huge problem because there are so many lobbies that are so many industries that filled the gaps for for instance if you go back to cannabis and you look for what it was used for oils and fibers and clothing and nutrition and etc 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 you can go down that road for hours and there are all those industries now which have lobbies and they under they know they understand that if cannabis comes back they're losing ground so so that's difficult. So now, what about the psychedelics and 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 how do we how do we go from where we are? I think that we need to, we need to go a careful path where we um, allow people to um, to use them, and we have to build regulations around them so that they're not. And, and I believe they shouldn't be only there for uh, medical use. Also, the psychedelics, of course, they should mm-hmm. be. Uh, people should have access to use them in whatever way they want to. Um, but um, it, it, it's going to take a while until people understand better, um, until society better sees the, the benefits coming out of them and um, and sees, uh, I think, also the the risks and, and where how to avoid the risks and how to avoid and and you know, uh, to to understand that the harm can be minimized. And um, if you look at the German society, for instance, I, I it it took me a while to understand also, and I think we need to understand where the fears come from. Also. Okay. Of those substances. First of all, there I think there is a very basic fear, which is the our mind and our our consciousness is the crucial uh, tool we have. So if we and it's very fine tuned um, to help us survive in the world. So if there are substances that change the mind strongly, you know, temporarily, yeah. and if we if we then speculate, oh, could that be a constant change or could that leave damages to the right. me- to our memory, to whatever, to our ability to perceive patterns, et cetera. Mm. And of course, that's a huge threat. So it takes a while to understand, uh, or it took us a while to understand which, which uh, substances are really dangerous and which aren't. I mean, alcohol, for instance, is a lot more dangerous than we yeah. is commonly believed and is more, a lot more damaging in the long run. So that, but that's going to take a while to, to seep in and, you know, in the uh, general mind, but, um, <clears throat> or to, to, you know, to be understood. So, um, so um, there is this strong container, yes, uh, and and I believe we have to keep on pushing, but we have to also, as an activist or as somebody who wants to convince the public, yeah. And I I keep on saying that you have to um, understand that the other side, those who are afraid of those substances, those who want a prohibition or or stricter regulations. 
Yeah, some of them are lobbyists. Yeah, some of them are irrational. Yeah, some of them are cynical politi politicians, <clears throat> definitely. But many of them are, uh, are just misinformed or didn't get access to the information that, that we have. And they're simply afraid. And yeah. so um, you need to convince them with arguments. You need to convince them with, uh, uh, you know, sharing your stories, sharing uh, empirical evidence that we have. And there's a lot out there. So it's, it, you know, and I, I see a lot from the side of um, the psychedelic realm, the cannabinoid field that um, they're pushing a lot. And um and they're they become very aggressive against those who are who want to have more stricter regulations or prohibitions, and and I doubt that this is the right thing to do. I I think that we, we you know we need to um, enter the democratic process and enter into arguments and uh, and have good arguments for it. Of course, with my book, the high book, for instance, I use not only arguments. That's also uh, um, an insight I had during a cannabis high was that arguments are not enough. I mean, you, for instance, you have to change the imagery around mm. the plant. The imagery is really important. Right. And um, so that's why I came up with the photo series in my book, uh, High, uh, which is also in, in elevated um, uh, the, the image series of cannabis where you see it as a plant and you have a different angle on it. <clears throat> but, um, but but I think it's important to um, yeah to 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 approach that in a sensitive uh, manner, and because I've also seen in Germany, for instance, politicians were uh, really skeptic uh, because the Canadians and I was part of that. I would work for a Canadian company um, were were going on the German market and trying to push that was not my company too much, but they were trying to push behind the scenes too much, you know? So you can see that there are now financial interests coming in and they, they give a shit about whether people are <clears throat> many of them. I mean, uh, they just want to sell stuff. So, so the last point here is that I also think that with, and this is one of the crucial points now that the psychedelic community community and the, can cannabis community everybody in there should understand there are a lot of people who until now are still i think a little naive coming from the side of civil rights and coming from the right mm. mindset um <clears throat> they need to understand that in the cannabis business probably also in the psychedelic business there are people who give a complete shit and they want to push the boundaries they want to make money they don't they don't care about patients they don't care about whatever and sometimes you see that see the split in companies you know you see a company yeah. being founded by the right guys but then you know the financial some some guys came in and and uh, the company just goes in a different directors they just talk to shareholders and they want to make money and then they you know they set off and you know then they they go lobby against homegrown home growth etc mm -hmm. etc so, so this is, I think, and especially in the States, what I can see from outside is, is a really important point that the, the industry must understand that they have a lot of foul apples and a lot of people in there coming from the wrong mindset. And they need to, uh, under, they need to 
think about regulations and institutional um, changes that enable them to minimize the impact of bad thinking in and 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 those bad impulses within the in, the industry. Yeah, you know, in your book Elevated, you talk a lot about the cannabinoid system and, and how potentially using an elevated state of consciousness to change the environment in which we act. Like if we change the cognitive environment, we come up with different solutions and stuff. And I'm curious, like let's say if there's a young student watching, what might be an incredible study someone could do that could maybe get people really excited about it? On some level, in my mind, I'm thinking like, wouldn't it be cool if we could prove that synesthesia is like a language and we could somehow harness it or something like that. But what, 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 if in your creative mindset, like what are some things that students that may be thinking about researching these psychedelics or cannabis, what are some, some imaginative things that they could begin to do? Or is there a study that you've ever wanted to do if you had enough money or. Oh yeah. I'd, I'd have, a whole, it, man. Let's I'd have a whole series of studies. Well, I think, I'm coming from a tradition in philosophy that um, also looks a lot at empirical confirmation. So what I uh, set out there, what I put out there is something that I believe can empirically be proven or better proven than I, because I had to draw on, on a field of evidence or, you know, on a lot of studies, but also anecdotal evidence, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I, I try to, uh, conceptually analyze and and evaluate everything I had, but to get it to a point where it's a sorted, where I have a, a hypothesis about a, various things about how cannabis affects the mind that can be proven. So, or let's say empirically evaluated. So, for instance, when it comes to uh, cannabis and episodic memory, is there an, an you you don't start looking. If you look at brain imaging techniques, you don't start looking at the really complicated stuff like empathic understanding because nobody really knows how all that works in the brain. I mean, that's a very complicated. We have models uh, to a certain degree, but but that's a, that's a difficult start there. So so you'd look. You should, if you want to assess what I've written, um, for instance, then you would look into how into the still complicated, but not as far higher level uh, states or abilities, cognitive abilities, and how they are affected during a high, which is pattern recognition, for instance. Mm -hmm. you, could, uh, you could set up various um, uh, pattern recognition tasks and see how they are affected during a high. You could set up uh, memory tasks and see how they are affected during a high. Um, uh, you can make people imagine things and see how this is affected during mm. the high. <clears throat> the problem is with the, with um, with this testing, and this is also what I write in my chapter on creativity in Elevated, is that <clears throat> Baudelaire put that very nicely, the, mm. the French poet. Mm. Uh, cannabis takes with one hand what it gives with the other, or I think <laughs> yeah. cannabis gives with the one hand what it takes with the other. And um, what does he mean by that? I give you an example. If, let's yeah. say you're a great painter 
or or you want to you you want to be an artist and, and you start painting and you you um you get high and then you imagine things and you, your imagination is enhanced you have a really great imagination and you see an image and you come up creatively with an with an image that would become a great would be a great foundation for for a painting uh, but because you're you used hashish that is maybe a little older or <laughs> contains too much CBN or whatever, or you're just overdosed, you you have that imagination and then you know you feel like okay, but I can't get up now. You know I I must stay on my couch, <laughs> and half an hour later you fall asleep. Yeah, uh, and the next day you don't remember maybe. So, so what happened in Baudelaire's term terminology? He'd say cannabis gave you with one hand what it took with the other, right? And um, so that happens personally. Um, this is why, by the way, here again, I'd say if you have a notebook and you write down that image, then the next day, maybe even if you mm. if you lie down, if you forget about it, the next day, you read your sentence, and maybe the yeah. probably the whole image comes back to you. So now. You know, now you know. With studies, and I see that there are some studies on creativity uh, and cannabis, which have been done uh, methodologically, in my view, in a flawed way, mostly because <clears throat> um, they forget about what I call the con the cancellation effects. What is a cancellation effect? And I have the example in my book is. Um, is a basketball player uh, and, and a scene in the basketball game where um, basketball player has like 10 seconds uh, down on the clock, 10 seconds on the clock to, to shoot a three-pointer to win the game. And he's dribbling, he's close, and he wants to shoot. But he has a defender who knows him inside out. And he knows that this defender knows him and he knows probably every movement he's ever done. So now he's he has to come up with a creative idea. You know what what do I do? And because of his enhanced, let, let's say this guy is high, and he has an enhanced ability to retrieve memories. He remembers a Tai Chi master giving him a great trick about you know uh, <laughs> about how to deceive people. You know, with a little slap yeah. on the, his hand, he uses that. He um, he does a weird hand gesture. The basketball player while he's high. And for a moment, the other guy who knows him inside out sees something that he can't, you know, he can't sort it out for a split second. He's just, he's just, uh, you know, distracted. And then he he gets up and shoots, and hits hits the clock. Uh, but so all that went really well. He had a creative idea. There was an enhancement of maybe pattern recognition. He could pick up the pattern. He, he transposed the pattern of what the Tai Chi master told him. He got the distant memory, came up with a great idea. But uh, the clock had already run down. It's like, <laughs> why? Why didn't he get it done? Because uh, because it's maybe his sense of time is distorted, you know? Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> So here's what we have. We have a creative idea, which we have a great enhancement, but it doesn't work here. It doesn't, it doesn't end up in something useful because all that creativity needs to be imbe embedded in a whole, or, or there is a balance, cognitive abilities, and, and of course, hand-eye coordination abilities with the player 
and he needs to coordinate a lot. And maybe one ability is enhanced, namely his ability to remember things or to creatively generate ideas, but the other ability right. to keep the track of time, you know, is, is not enhanced mm. in that sense that it needs to. So what comes out is not, not right. So the same can happen during a, um, a verbal uh, creativity test or something that people might do in, in a situation where you where you have an experimental setup. And that's what researchers should never forget. We are, if, if we are in those tests, yeah, your imagination might be, um, might be enhanced, but then maybe you don't answer whatever within five seconds, which you would need to, because you're not able to put that in the language in within three seconds or something. So, so this is always something that's um, where studies need to be careful because the high affects um, many cognitive abilities. And um, well, you know, the, the point is easily made if, if you look at sleep. I mean, we all know that during sleep and during dreaming, your imagination is enhanced. Wow, yeah, so great. Now let's let's test that and put somebody who's dreaming in a lab and then I show him images and or I or, or I tell him to come up with an image and um, ask him and say, hey, can you generate an image of a pink elephant in your mind? And he's not responding. And I'm like, okay, that so it dreaming doesn't seem to help. <laughs> well, that's stupid. <laughs> you know? well, that's a stupid setup. But if you look at, I mean, seriously, I have I remember a talk talk a long time ago by Torsten Passi. Uh, I think it was in um, in in Germany, a German great researcher in Germany, who uh, who talked about uh, an LSD experiment that they had done with people who had been given a larger dose of LSD, and they had researchers looking at them how they behaved, and they knew they would be looked at, mm -hmm. and then they kind of rolled on the ground laughing. But then in the end, the experiment also, they, they came up with statistics saying that 12% of them felt uh, uncomfortable and anxious. Hell yeah, you know, I mean, I would feel anxious if I would lose my inhibitions and somebody would watch me and write down my reactions. <laughs> I mean, these, but, but, we, but then, you know, you get a percentage and th these are, you know, they looked at whatever, 15 people and then you have like 17.6% of them felt anxious. Oh my God. So... So LST makes you make 17.5% of people anxious. And, and it's, you look at these experiments and how they're devised and you're like, right. it can't be that somebody is so stupid, but then, then you have like percentages, you know, and you know, with only 17 people or so, and you think, yeah, if, you know, if scientists say that 17.5% or 17.68% of people are becoming anxious from the dose, blah, blah, blah of LSD, then, you know, they know what they're doing. They're scientists. No, they don't. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So you asked me about, uh, about scientific experiments. So that would be... Um, I think you should carefully devise uh, some experiments about the basic enhancements that I was talking about in perception and cognition, like mm -hmm. memory, episodic memory, pattern recognition, episodic, uh, sorry, um, associated mind racing. I think you you can carefully uh, uh, 
make a lot of good experiments there to access a little better what's happening in the brain with brain imaging, imaging techniques. Mm. Um, but also, <clears throat> I'm not. I think we talked about that in one of our sessions. I would really love to see somebody take it a little further than I did in my book, uh, what Hashish did to Walter Benjamin, where I am trying to understand also how um, people using cannabis um, and th that also could be extended to other psychoactive substances, influential people like Louis Armstrong. Uh, Carl Sagan, Walter mm -hmm. Benjamin, the philosopher, um, or Richard Feynman, or you know, you name it. There, there's such a long list of people who used cannabis or other substances, and that inspired their work, their art, their philosophy, their writing, and how that influenced the world. I mean, I, I always give the example of the Beatles, where Paul McCartney once said that. Um, <clears throat> without LSD or, or cannabis, they wouldn't have done the music they, they came up with, or they, you know, they would have made a completely different, they would have been a completely different band. And how much did the Beatles affect the world um, yeah. or their music affect our lives and affected literature? And, and with Walter Benjamin and his um, philosophy and his ideas, I mean, he affected, for instance, with an article, the art world and how we, how we think about art. Uh, how did Louis Armstrong, who said mm -hmm. that his uh, autobiography could well be entitled Gage, uh, which was the code word for cannabis, uh, he was a daily smoker. Uh, how, how, how did he affect the world and his, uh, <clears throat> his scatting uh, and others, on, or Billie Holiday? Um, so, so I think I would like to have somebody look into the history of uh, not only of our modern society, but also how how um, did cannabis affect the early Indian society mm. uh, in India, um, or or Chinese society or mm. how was Sufism affected by the use of cannabis uh, or other substances, shamanism, etc. And and this is we have to understand that in this area. Um, a lot of knowledge just got lost and eradicated. Uh, I remember I went to an exhibition in Germany um, about shamanism. That was that's maybe 15 years ago or so. It was a great museum in Stuttgart, um, and they had um, it, it was really a lovely exhibition. But they took the whole subject of um, psychoactive substances out of shamanism, which is ridiculous. Why? Because they wanted to have kids in the exhibition. Mm. So, so, you know, there was a little bit about drumming and uh, drumming for trance states. And uh, so you could touch the drums and drum a little bit, but, but that was, that's how you can see how society buried all that knowledge and, um, and that it, 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 you know, it censored uh, everything out and we, we don't understand it. And, and a lot of that hasn't been done uh, in, in, uh, and we, we would now have the tools to do that. I mean, if, if we look at, <clears throat> um, uh, if we look at our history, for instance, they found, you know, this, um, from the Ötztal, the, the corpse, they found the 4,000 year old, uh, mm -hmm. modified corpse, the Ötzi in Austria in, um, the, they called him Ötzi, I think you, you, yeah. you that was a shaman and he, 
he carried um, uh, substances that uh, were psychedelic that were from plants that have an LSD light alkaloid in them. So he's one of the biggest findings in uh, archaeology showing that even very early uh, shamans um, and humans were affected by psychoactive substances to a certain degree. And I think I, I would like to see more from anthropologists and from archaeologists, et cetera, from archaeology uh, on that side uh, studies. And there's so much more. I mean, in philosophy, and I think yeah. to, to end this point, um, because we could talk a long time about that, but in, in philosophy, I think that um, there are some people now doing that, Peter Suset and others, uh, who are looking into the philosophy of altered states of consciousness and of those uh, psychoactive substances like the Mind Foundation in Germany, uh, but also from a philosophical angle, uh, to beca because I think philosophers can find a whole lot. This this is a treasure trove for philosophers to look into, to understand human nature, the nature of consciousness. And that is basically what I try to uh, start also to, to get philosophers interested in the whole uh, scenery more. Because I come from a long tradition of, um, uh, of uh, analytic philosophy of mind, the philosophy of mind that, that takes into account neuroscience and all the cognitive science, etc. But I don't see much of... Uh, much of an import from the psychedelic research uh, there or from the cannabinoid research or other uh, types of research that took took a long time. There's still an arena. I wondered after 10 years, I was like, why didn't I heard of Sartre taking various substances to write his books, et cetera, but, um, and his experiments with um, with psychoactive substances. But but that was just like a, a side note somewhere. And and I think we really need to have that in in, in the philosophy of mind realm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often think of a study that I would like to see is, is there an effect on Broca's area or Wernicke's area? Or, you know, like there's, there's a clear correlation between heightened sense of linguistics and psychedelic substances. At least for me, there is, that's just my opinion of it, but it seems yeah. to me I'm much more able to explain complex situations after a high dose of psilocybin. And, and that's just anecdotal for me. Like, but I really feel like there's a, there's a real, there's a real sort of, there's something there that allows you to communicate more effectively. And I don't know if it's because you, you're, you're, you are processing different information in different parts of the brain, but are, what, what do you think about that? Is it, what do you think is the relationship between psychedelics and, and, and linguistics? Well, that's a, that's a, <laughs> <it's good. laughs> well, um, uh, I haven't, I haven't done much work on that actually in, when it comes to cannabis and, um, let, let's get back first to cannabis because yeah. that's my special sure. special field. Um, but I, I've written uh, um, parts on how cannabis can affect, um, for instance, language understanding um, or production. 
And if you look into anecdotal reports, there's many people have observed that they understand. I have experienced that myself that they understand a different language better when they are when they're high. There's a really beautiful story collected by <clears throat> Lester Greenspoon on his website, um, marijuanauses.com, um, where I think it's called Lady Chatterley Stoned. Um, or something where a guy in the 70s uh, who was uh, who couldn't read or write and just had just started finds shelter in an in an empty house somewhere he lives on the street and then he finds uh, Lady Chatter Chatterley the book and then for the first time because he's high he is able to read whole sentences and put puts it together and. Um, and suddenly the whole world of reading mm. and understanding uh, opens up for him as in an image that you see that, that has been 2D and now it, it, it's 3D. And um, uh, uh, many other people um, report that when they're reading while they're high, they they are able to deeper understand the, the meaning of what's written there. They understand better a different language. They get better in, mm -hmm. into it. Well, there are certain certain effects that are general effects that could help that. So, for instance, uh, what I wrote about it a lot is the hyper-focus of attention. So if you are more hyper-focused on whatever kind of cognitive ability or whatever comes into your focus, mm -hmm. is, of course, you have more, you process that better, you see more details, you have more acuity and, and perception. So that could also affect language. So if you have, if you... Uh, for instance, if you have attention deficit problems and you're reading, then you won't pick up a deeper meaning or you, you won't be able to get that much absorbed in a text as you usually do. So, so this could be general effects that help you to get more into understanding language or producing language or, or um, um, be more verbal in, in various tasks. But... But there could be also some, like you said, it could be that there is a special enhancement um, of uh, the parts in your brain also where language is processed. And um, I can't right now, I, I haven't looked into, and I'm, I'm not aware of uh, a body of studies or so, or so that looks into that, but I, I think there is something going on there too, because... Um, Language is something that is especially affected also uh, during a high and also in psychedelic states. Where, but I also believe it's interesting because um, it's, of course, also dose dependent because yes. in some in some states uh, where you're in, in a, where you have a higher dose of LSD, psilocybin, you, you move away from yeah. <laughs> the barrier or you move you you get out of your conceptual cage, so to say. And, and <laughs> you know, so That's you're a great way to put it. The grip, uh, and uh, you're losing that, that you're, you really open the doors to the cage and you, you, you are immersed and more imaginative in, in imagery, imagery. And um, so, which of course makes it then later harder for you to, uh, to get that to understand and to remember what that was, what that feeling was, or whatever that state was, because it's hard to describe. Mm -hmm. And you, language is usually the tool for us to integrate or to get to to understand what's what's happening in there. 
So, um, so I'd be interested in 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 that too. What you said um, to look more closely at not only how general the general effects that I have uh, described, like a better um, a hyper focus of attention, how that could help you to you know be better immersed and understand sentences, and you know, but also mm -hmm. how. Uh, or, or imagination, for instance, you can you can see that happening, uh, and that's something in in that Lady Chatterley story also that I think is described as when you when you read a book, um, you might be in the mode that you understand when somebody's saying talking about a beautiful landscape, and he's like um, he describes the smells of a, of an apple tree and the wind in in your hair, etc. And you're like you read that and you understand basically all of it what he's saying but you don't feel it you're not in the scenery and that is of course something that cannabis or psychedelic can do for you because of your enhanced imagination mm -hmm. we always think of uh, we tend to think of imagination because of the word as imagery but it's not only imagery it's of course taste and tactile experience and olfactory like smell experiences mm -hmm. so uh, so this em enhanced imagination can take you in the scene you're reading. So you, suddenly you smell the apple tree because you, you retrieve distant memories from smelling an apple tree when you were on the field. You retrieve distant memories from the wind in your hair, from the feeling of sitting on warm or on, on grass, from the freshness of grass, etc. from everything that's described in the book. And you, you were able to synthesize that into uh, uh, an experience. <clears throat> so, so that happens definitely too. So th this is, and this is also something that helps us reading a book and understanding it better because suddenly the, the understanding is something completely different because your imagination is enhanced. But I also think that um, you, um, there are various other effects like for instance, um, uh, language is very often opaque in a certain mm -hmm. sense. Um, I remember, <clears throat> um, and th that you read a lot if you look at anecdotal um, reports. Um, yeah, Lion's Pate was a case from, that's difficult to explain in English, but, <laughs> but here's Wienerwald. You know, you know the chain Wienerwald in... in um, which would be translated as Vienna's Woods, which is in Austria, which it's like the Kentucky Fried Chicken of, of Europe or, or Germany or Austria. So and I, that was around forever, that restaurant, that fast food chain restaurant, um, Wienerwald. And I remember, remember as a student, somebody told me that he went to Vienna because it's, it's Vienna's uh, forest, basically. That's the name. And, and he said, uh, yeah, <clears throat> I went to Vienna to the Wienerwald and I'm like, oh, they have a Wienerwald there too. And he's like, it says, v the name of the restaurant is Vienna's Forest. So, so yes, it comes <laughs> from there. And I'm like, oh, I <laughs> never thought about that. <laughs> so so um, that's what I mean by opaque. We don't look right. into, we use the, the notion a lot and we, or we use the name a lot and we understand that it's a restaurant, blah, blah, blah. But we never, I, I never thought about Vienna in that word as the meaning of, oh, Vienna, the city of Vienna, right. because, you know, it's been around forever. And other, and so during a high or during 
a psychedelic trip, sometimes the metaphorical content of a notion opens up and yeah. or or the imaginary content opens up to you and you you start to understand the uh uh, the meaning, the deeper meaning of a word or of a slogan or of a sentence much better because you, you understand it in a different way. And, and I think that is, <clears throat> um, we, we'd also have to look into how um, various substances shift our thinking from, from language-driven to more... Um, metaphor or mental imagery driven yeah and and i think that is a very interesting uh if we talk about transitional states by the way yeah like you asked before that i think is a really interesting task because <clears throat> um uh, again the notion balance plays a big role because if you're too far out sometimes you're not able to you know to uh put things together if you're too far uh if you stick to language too much in the logical sense and without that deeper understanding, you may not understand the metaphorical or uh, the ironic parts of it, but you need to be somewhere in the middle yeah, to, to, be, um, to pick up metaphorical understanding or to pick up the ironical meaning of a certain sentence and, and then also to become creative maybe with language and to use it in a different way. It's so mind blowing to me. Like th this may this may be the next evolution of language. You know, you start looking back to what Philo Judea said about the log the next the logos will be a language to be beheld. And you listen to Einstein talking about imagination is more important than anything. Maybe that's what's happening in these psychedelic states is that we are beginning to unlock the imagination as a language. I've in my whole life I've never thought I've never put image <clears throat> and imagination together. But it makes so much more sense, especially in like a really deep psychedelic trip where you're just 3D images blasting out at you and you can't talk and you're stuttering words, you know, but like yeah. you can see the imagery. Like maybe that is you beginning to use your imagination as a means of communication. Like, and, and like that, that would explain on some level the idea of telepathy. That would on some level explain the idea of maybe symbolic resonance with other people. Like I, I know it's kind of out there, but like, it seems plausible to me. Like that, it's, a, it's such a richer form of understanding. And it does bring up the metaphor. Like I had a whole list of things I'm going to write down and start thinking about image and imagery now, man. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, because I, um, I, I keep on repeating that, but I, um, in, in my books, it's it's a uh, it's a theme really that if you if I talk to people about their experiences with cannabis, um, and I ask them, do you ha were you able to imagine things better during a high? Most of them are, yeah, of course, you know, I could, yes. you know, I, I could imagine certain images, etc. But if you <clears throat> we all tend to underestimate how important imagination is in our lives because we usually, A, <clears throat> we believe that imagination is something that is restricted more to imagery, like mm -hmm. visual imagery. And B, we believe that it's something, yeah, it's, it's useful for artists or, you know, um, 
but it's not in, in our everyday lives. It's not that, you know, you're, you're a dream. Don't, don't be a dreamer. You know, it's, it's not <laughs> that important. Now, <laughs> now, so uh, now A is, is um, again, it's not only imagery of images. It's um, look at a chef who, who says he, she may become high and, and think of a, a new great meal, have great ideas about. Uh, and that is imagination. If I tell you, George, think of um, a chili chocolate with mm. uh, mango sauce uh, and a little bit of strawberry in it. You'd be like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe. Or maybe you're like, hell yeah. Let's yeah. try that. I, that sounds you know? delicious. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Actually, I, I come to a point where I'm like, I'm not sure with the strawberry, but maybe <laughs> just try the mango. Just for color. <laughs> maybe it's too rich, but it depends on the ratio. But then it's, you know, this is what, what you do if you want to um, be creative in cooking. You have a certain... Um, archive of experiences with uh, cinnamon and with spices and with other um, ingredients that you could use. And then you're trying your imagination. You think of how maybe uh, this type of spaghetti goes with that kind of tomato plus something unusual, maybe apple juice, blah, blah, you know, <laughs> and um, which actually works. I, I heard somebody uh, that the tons are using a little bit, little bit of apple juice in, in their sauces. Um, but um, <clears throat> so, so this is imagination. A, so a big point, imagination is not only imagery, but it could be about uh, all kinds of experience, tactile experiences or, um, and, and it then B, <clears throat> imagination is everywhere in our lives you know it's it's basically what we what is uh crucial of crucial importance for our decision making so if um uh if you ask me and i, th I think we we touched on that subject if you ask me do you want to take that job in barcelona blah 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 and uh, i i think that's one of the examples that i have in the art of the high um and and I imagine, okay, I'd be sitting from nine to five in an office in the 10th floor of that building, looking down on and in Spain. So I use my imagination to simulate the environment that I'd be in and the, the task that I would have and be like, and then I would be like, yeah, that sounds like, sounds like something I would like to do. Or you, you want to get married and you, you, you are confronted with the question, do you want to marry me? And you're like, do I want to be with that person for the rest of my life? Or you're trying to, you know, imagine things uh, or situations or how would that be, you know? And um, you extrapolate from a situation that you had before where you're like, oh, yeah, that would be kind of, I like, I maybe yes, but then we, when we talk uh, after half an hour, we never know what to say. How, how's that going to be in 10 years? So, so, um, <clears throat> So we use our imagination a lot. And um, if you understand that, how crucially important imagination is for decision-making in our lives, then you understand how crucially important it could be if you have an enhancement during a high or during a psychedelic trip, using your enhanced imagination. And then maybe, and again, we have that re-import from rational mm -hmm. 
from our understanding of those states where you where you maybe think, okay, now tonight I'm going to sit down, I'm going to get high or take an LSD or psilocybin and think about uh, this decision about marrying a certain, mm-hmm. you know, marrying this lady. And, um, and then uh, maybe you come up with, uh, you come back and you're like, this is exactly what I ever wanted. You know, and I, I really thought it through. <laughs> you know, I had a, uh, I had a very vivid imagination of how our life, how our and my life could be, and, I, and I'm fully for it. So, so imagination is uh, the enhancement of imagination is something really crucial, and it's something really important uh, that comes out of our, uh, of the of a high or of a psychedelic uh, a trip. And we usually don't understand how important that could be because we don't we, we underestimate how important imagination in general is for us. It's interesting. You know, I, I'm I'm getting ready to talk to Susan Brown tomorrow, who is doing a lot of work on the flow state. And I, I can't help but begin to think about some of the parallels about measuring flow state and using some of the ideas that you've been talking about to measure creativity and and how those two ideas kind of overlap a little bit. What do you think about the flow state and altered states of consciousness? And how might these two things be tied together? Oh, oh, <laughs> very close, very closely. Yeah, very closely. I gotta um, put you guys in contact, man. You guys be a, you guys probably have a phenomenal conversation. Yeah, I mean, I I have um, uh, I have of course looked at the work of uh, Mihaly Chikchent, Mihaly, uh, the guy who talked about flow or who came up with the whole uh, theory of flow. Um, and um, the flow state is characterized, of course, um, by, which was also the connection for him was important to happiness, you know, which is if you are right. very, if you have a task that's a big task for you, uh, but you are working on it and you're very concentrated, you're focused, you're really absorbed and you're, uh, your mind is working on high speed with a lot of passion on that thing, and you you're barely able to ma- you barely manage to solve or to to uh, live up to the challenge, and you you actually manage to do that. That is that is what is really creating happiness because that the, our brain basically re- rewards us for that for that. <clears throat> and um, the flow state is one in which you are working at on your best abilities where you're at your best solving a problem or, or uh, confronting a challenge. And um, if you, if you look about, if you look at what I said before about cancellation um, effects during a high, you could rephrase that as um, the high could also could take you into a flow state mm-hmm. because you are extremely focused on something. You are able to retrieve distant memories maybe better. You are maybe better at imagining things. Yeah. And all these enhancements could help you to get in the flow state, but they could also take you, some of them could also take you out of the flow state. Because if you have, if your flow state consists of doing a lot of tasks where you have to go back and forth with your attention, maybe you get too focused on something and it takes you out of the flow of whatever task it is as, uh, uh, I don't know, in in a job or something. Mm -hmm. So this is the art of the high, I guess, is 
to learn how to use a certain uh, dose of whatever substance you're using, in my case, it would be cannabis, um, to keep you and to keep you in a flow state or to get you in a flow state or enhance your flow state where you are incredibly focused and, um, and uh, able to, with your mental abilities that you have then enhanced maybe to, to get better at whatever you're doing. And um, we need to understand that, uh, especially when it comes to creativity, if you don't understand if you don't know the art of the high, if you don't know yourself, mm -hmm. it's um, then cannabis is a great tool like a surfboard. But if I don't know how to use that surfboard, I can go out in the waves and have the perfect conditions like in Hawaii. <laughs> but I, you know, and I have the perfect tool, maybe have the best board ever built. But I will just get, you know, the, the waves will just um, hit me and uh, because I'm not able to keep my balance on the board because I don't understand when I have to right. dive or when I have to take and I don't have the timing, I don't have et cetera, et cetera. I need right. a lot of knowledge to, to get on, to ride that wave. And <clears throat> so yeah. the best, even the best tool won't help me if I don't have that knowledge, especially also in relation to myself. So... If I, if I stand on the beach and I see the waves rolling in high um, and other surfers go out and they're like, they go and they have really fun in the waves, I need to be able to say, hell yeah, have fun, not for me today because I'm not, uh, I, last year I would have been in a condition to do that. This year I'm not because right. I'm not physically trained enough for the, exactly for that. In, in two hours, yeah, maybe because then I know that, that the wind is going to get less. Um, so with with cannabis, this is also really important because I might be, um, you know, going to conference or to a place where I meet people and they're like, hey, you're the guy who wrote the high book. Here's a 25% here's a <laughs> THC, whatever. And <laughs> I, need to under, I need to know whether, you know, I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, guys, I have kids and I haven't smoked for or I haven't inhaled because I'm using, if I'm using a vaporizer, so I, I haven't had anything in a year or so, or not in a year, but in a, in a few months or so. So uh, my tolerance is like insane. So if I take one draw, I'm going to be really funny, yeah. but not very productive anymore. So I need to understand where I am and, um, and how I react and uh, how I can handle a certain kind of high in what kind of situation. And, and that is, uh, that is really important. And of course, the uh, the flow notion is crucially important for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. Do, do you think that you know if we if we look at psychedelics or if we look at uh, you know training, be it exercise or however people find themselves in a flow state or in an altered state of consciousness, can it become second nature? Do you think it can be something that we train ourselves to do where we can just put ourselves in that state? I guess meditation is another way to do it and people can get in that state, but maybe do you think that maybe the, the psychedelics can be a tool for you to begin to build a, the environment or a pathway to that environment that you, we can again traverse once you figure it out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. That's well put. Um, um, and, and there are different uh, flow states, of course. Um, right. Uh, 
I think it's important also when you think about um, flow states and creativity to uh, to look at at least two different situations where one is that you are um, trying to solve a certain problem where you're really goal-directed. You're like, okay, I want mm -hmm. to think about a, a certain theory and I need a creative breakthrough or I'm thinking about my novel and I need to generate an idea about my main character uh, or I want to paint a certain, I want to, I want to generate a great painting of that mountain. So you're very goal directed, or you are just freely associate. You you can just sit down and say, I just let it loose. You know, I let, I go, I go in a flow state where I'm all over yeah. the place, and um, and uh, maybe I take a deep dive, which is to, to just lie down and and um have a an, a, an LSD trip or uh, or even on, on cannabis, you know, take mm -hmm. a larger dose. And sometimes, um, maybe also because of the nature of those substances, they take you to places where you would never go if you were too goal-directed. Right. Um, and and um, so this is a different kind of flow because um, I, I, be I also believe that flow states... Um, as Chikcheng Mihaly describes them, uh, are very often like you are, it's a high, high energy, um, state to be in or process. Mm. And, um, uh, and it can be really demanding to, to keep up that state for a long time. Yeah. So, uh, I very often I, I thought about the kind of I, I talk about a cognitive hangover that you have sometimes after a high or and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. Many people with or or a psilocybin trip, and mm -hmm. many people would think of it as a toxic side effect. Like you know, you have the next day you're a hangover, you're a bit you're tired or you're you know spaced out or something. I think of it more of I think more of it as a cognitive hangover in the sense of like, if I ask you today um, or if I give you like three math exams uh, for two hours each, then you're, you might be hung over the next day or so yeah, because you had to really work on co hard cognitive tasks. And you're like, okay, I need some relaxation, relaxation after that because it's work, it's mental work. Yeah. And with uh, with those substances, I think, and even if you are in the flow state, it can be really demanding. And you're, um, it's both cognitively demanding, in just in the mere sense of uh, um, takes a lot of effort, you know. But also, it can be demanding in terms of oh, I had so many insights about myself. I remember I took, um, is it Hawaiian woodrose? It's in German uh, Hawaiian. Maybe woodrose. Yeah. Woodrose. And it was not even a large dose, but I remember after after one and a half hours or so, I said, "Okay, I had so many I had so many insights about myself that I need a break now." Okay, that was enough. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I need to think about that. Yeah. And um, and um, I, I really felt exhausted. You know what I'm? You, yeah. I, I think you sure surely know what I'm talking about because not only is it. Ex it uh, exhausting to have to go through all those mental processes or to race through your memory or your mind but also to to then um 
face all the insights you have and how much that would matter for your life or, you know, and, and then your brain starts to even go faster at, you know, trying to sort out those insights, you know, just think about what happens to you if you have one insight not being high or anything today that, oh, you're, um, <clears throat> You, you cannot be a person in a relationship, but you have been in a relationship and struggling. So now your your mind starts going like, oh, shit, you know, yeah. uh, what do I do with that? Do I have to go to therapy or blah, 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 et cetera. So you're trying to understand what happened just now. Is that a real insight? Was that a deception? And and if you ha have insights, various insights during a high or during a psychedelic trip, uh, what follows is your mind trying to, you know, really understand the relevance to that or should it act on that? Because mm -hmm. some of them might be uh, bigger insights. Um, so um, where were we? Bl flow states. Um, so I think there are various flow states. Some of them can be, be really exhausting. Some of them can be um, more like floating when you're not so when you're not trying to be so goal directed um and you um that you're just freely floating so to say or freely flowing um maybe still exhausting but it, it may be different but i think um it's uh it's interesting to think about how you get into a flow state and how you want to direct it yeah during a during an altered state of consciousness, and sometimes you do not want to want to uh, direct it. Yeah, I think it speaks volumes of experience to first off get in the flow state, and then to be able to direct it. Like that's a lot of time yeah. inside your own head figuring things out, man. And I, I I love the idea that if if we just backtrack for a moment on this idea of the cognitive hangover and the insights. Like, I think that that could explain a lot into the ideas of quote unquote bad trips. Like maybe bad trips are having these incredible insights. You don't know what to do with them because they're happening so fast. And you're like, boom, you're like just processing it. You know, you're just like, ah, neuroplasticity in real time. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why some people say is there is no bad trip. There are right. only dif difficult trips. Right. I agree. Um, I, well, yeah. Depending I'd on who you are, you know, I mean, it, it, I could see how it could yeah. be a bad trip. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I could it's also all language, see but if you, if you can't, if you can't come to grips with that thing in a minute, you know, you yeah. haven't been in that environment. Right. It can be, man. You freak out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And I, I think there can be bad trips in, sure. in, the, in the sense that uh, happened for me. Uh, I overdosed in Amsterdam on psilocybin and, and I, I thought I had a good trip sitter, but he didn't know what he was doing. And um, I think it kept me from using uh, psilocybin for a long time. And mm -hmm. um, in that sense, it was a bad trip because it was uncontrolled and it, it became interesting. It's not like nothing good came out of it. And right. that's the problem with calling something just bad because you want to you know, push right. it away and just categorize it as something that needs to go away or you, know, you don't want that anymore. But uh, of course, if you look at it more closely, very often the bad trips are probably the ones that give you the most. Uh, or n not the most, but but also give you great insights or also give you uh, interesting things if you are more open to assess them. But <clears throat> um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, question to think about how you can direct um, mm -hmm. your um, 
your trips or your high, uh, for instance, I came up with uh, uh, the method of clapping in my hand and just shouting, go away, bad thought. <laughs> and then laughing because I, uh, it, it, very often you go down the rabbit hole of <clears throat> um, an idea or a bad mm -hmm. thought, yep. and you are so hyper focused and you are not uh, aware of what you're thinking of that you, you, you stick to it. And um, this is something that I, I think I take out of Buddhism sometimes. You just need to let something go and let, let, an, let, let a bad thought yes. or something float away. And but to do that, you need a kind of mindfulness and mindfulness. Uh, <clears throat> my book, uh, I, I remember discussions with my uh, um, publisher back then uh, when I wrote The Art of the High. It could have also been uh, the mindful high, uh, because I think that is a very um, if, if you have that mindful high, if you understand, if you train yourself to be mindful in your life but then also be mindful in your high, then you can, you generate maybe the ability to control, to not control it, but to, to influence it to a certain point and to ride it better to places where you want to go. And um, so like, I remember I watched television, I got high, I watched television and then I watched a documentary on Eichmann, uh, the German, uh, uh, Nazi who was responsible for um, Auschwitz, uh, who was then uh, sentenced sentenced to death. I think the um, the Mossad um, got him in 1959 or something. Uh, they found him in in Argentina, as far as I remember, brought him to Israel, and then he was sentenced to death. And it was a documentary on on him and how he defended himself. And he, he was always like, I was a bureaucrat and I just followed orders, et cetera. And I, I really, I watched him for, for a longer time and it was just, uh, and then with your enhanced empathy yeah. to get into the mindset of, of such a, let's say um, impoverished and poor personality and, and really sinister personality that was really taking me down and at a certain point it just i was just like hey just you know switch channels you know yeah yeah um and and i think uh, that can be really helpful to train your mindfulness and to be able to then you know not going down rabbit holes sometimes uh it might be helpful to go down the rabbit holes and, and the psychedelic or uh the cannabis high might help you to approach distant memories um with uh less anxiety which might be extremely helpful for a therapeutic process but also i see a danger in there that you might be re-traumatized or you you go into back into a trauma maybe too early so so i think it it might help uh people to to really train mindfulness techniques meditation and other techniques and be aware of what they're doing then uh to make a better use of their altered states of consciousness uh and uh to avoid maybe going down rabbit rabbit holes too fast yeah there's a i spoke with uh kelly addison who's out of canada and 
she she helps a lot of people that find <clears throat> themselves using cannabis and she calls it this term greening out like when yeah. you yeah. right and you just start freaking out like oh, i get all paranoid or something like that but as we as she was telling me about this term and and she sees it as a positive thing she goes look this is these are things that are going on in your mind like you need to sit with them like that's why they're coming up now and if you right. can sit with them all of a sudden you're not going to green out next time so you know she she really helps people find a way to become comfortable in that environment which for people that have been there it's like you can get you can really green out and start tripping out on things you know but the way she was able to walk people through it and she shared some stories about her own personal experience and people she's worked with and and you know there's these patterns that happen in people's minds and whether it's a rabbit hole or paranoia or there are these techniques that you can use and those particular states you can look back on is very beneficial of like, Hey, now I know how to sit with something that's very uncomfortable. I know it's right. not going to stay with me. I know it's going to pass where, you know, it's, it is, I think it, it, it's a very great tool of, of an elevated state. That's, you know, maybe it's trying to teach you something. It's, it's fascinating, but Sebastian, I, I love our conversations, man. And I feel like they're getting better and better and more fun. Yeah. And this is so awesome. I, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's amazing to to talk to you. Um, let me just make one more comment to the last question. Um, I yeah, think please. as you're getting better in directing your high or understanding that mental state, like I um, explored in the Elevated and the Art of the High, um, you're able to avoid or, or to understand better situation because your your mind works differently. So you if you're getting really, really high and you know that it's not going to affect your breathing or your heart yeah. rate or, or your, um, you know, you're not going to die from it, all, then you know, okay, I'm not in danger because I know that I shouldn't drive a car now. I should just lay down and in two hours it's going to be better and then I can do this and that. That will also take a lot of pressure from yeah. your mind because you and and you will not get too paranoid because the paranoia comes from a very it's a very natural impulse it's your brain or your mind saying hey i can't control the situation anymore and my control of the situation is usually what what uh, helps me to survive and what helps me to to you know uh get around in the world if you control the situation in the sense that you know that you know you you are in a safe environment beforehand and that you know, okay, I may be too high to drive a car now. So I just, you know, I ask right. a friend to drive me, et cetera, et cetera. If you have all those experiences and if you have that knowledge and if you have those abilities, then um, you can have more interesting ways to, uh, maybe then you can approach different kinds of fears or trauma, traumatic experiences, et cetera because then that whole weight is, is away. But I, I think that's also part of the process of understanding your mind uh, going through a, an altered state of consciousness. So, uh, and that takes a lot of pressure from, from you. So that was my last comment on that. Um, yeah, maybe, so. Maybe you yeah. can take a few minutes just to go through some, go through your books. Cause I, I, I know you've written some awesome ones and I think people that are listening to this are going to yeah. want to know what those books are. So if you just take a few minutes, maybe go through each one and kind of give a little bit of background about which one is. Yeah. So um, my first book was uh, High Insights on Marijuana. That was, it's it's basically like a PhD thesis, but it's written for a, a larger audience. And this is where I explored uh, a lot of uh, the theory that I'm later, I later tried to um um, expand <clears throat> about um, the cannabis hype. I, I was interested in 
the phenomenon of insights during a high. And then I found, oh, to understand that better, I need to know more about what are insights. And, and when I say insights, I mean those ha, you know, yeah. creative thoughts that you have and you don't really know where they're coming from and how these may be enhanced during a high. And I thought, okay, I need to look at how how the cannabis high affects uh, cognition, uh, all kinds of cognitive abilities like uh, remembering and like pattern recognition and how it wh- how it leads to synesthesia, etc. Mm-hmm. And so, so that was my first focus, and that led me to to explore all those other cognitive um, uh, effect, effects. Um, that is not available anymore, as far as I know. Uh, then I wrote um, essays. Um, and I tried to uh, reach a, a bigger audience because I thought the first book was um, maybe a bit too uh, academic still. And I wrote in Germany, I published um, my book, High, um, The Positive Potential of, the, of Marijuana, uh, which contains seven essays in my art series. And... Um, that was that made a, a big media splash here in Germany that also explores those states, but also is about the prohibition. And uh, and then I wrote um, The Art of the High, which is a book that's more uh, really a, a minimalist guide for people. And this is also in German and English, um, a minimalist guide for people who really want to use the high for um, creativity, for their... Uh, for introspection and all the other abilities that I have talked about here. But it's really something you can read in three, four hours, and it's um, based on a book by Teach Not Han on the structure mm-hmm. that gives you some exercise, some knowledge, and it's, 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 it's very, uh, um, yeah, it, it's easy to read. And then Elevated is the new edition of High as Positive Potential, and this is a much deeper uh, 2023 edition of uh, my work and represents my work, uh, Elevated Cannabis as a Tool for Mind Enhancement for those who are more interested in psychology and philosophy. This is a deep dive into how cannabis affects creativity, imagination, empathy, uh, introspection, and it uh, also contains a chapter on um on the prohibition and the history of prohibitions. And um, so it, it has three new chapters in it and it's much more scientific also, but it's, it's, uh, it's a popular science style. So it's, I think it's accessible for, for a lot of people. Yeah. For everybody watching, here's a copy right here. Here's what it looks like. I highly recommend yeah. you go and check them out. And I, I don't think you I'm really to... proud to, sorry. I, I'm really yeah. proud that it appeared uh, in, in the States and that, um, um, that Hilardis Press, the um, the publishing house of of um, Robert Anton Wilson's daughter, published it because uh, to be published alongside with Robert Anton Wilson, of course, is is a great honor. Uh, I'm I'm just only now getting more into his work, and I'm always amazed by every sentence I read. Uh, and um, so so I, I'm I'm really glad uh, they found me through a reader through uh, Michael R. Johnson. And uh, uh, sorry, R. Michael Johnson, that's my agent now, and uh, who, who read my earlier book. Oh, I forgot my book. I forgot <laughs> what Hashish did. To that's the one I was going to say. In 2015. <laughs> 
Sorry, yeah, and to and and shortly in 2015, the what Hashish did to Walter Benjamin is a book, uh, also a collection of essays, in which I also am trying to explore how cannabis affected society through luminaries like Walter Benjamin, Carl Sagan, and others. Fascinating. That's that. Well, and where can people find you? I mean, uh, maybe you can give out the name of your website. Um, my website is uh, sebastianmarincolo.de uh, and um, marincolo with a C. And you get, uh, there. there's a blog uh, and uh, a lot of my essays and one chapter of my new book about creativity is on there. And you find all the podcasts and uh, um, media stuff on there. So uh, I think that's a good entry point for, for my work. I've also written a uh, blog for uh, Sensi Seeds Amsterdam. So some of my uh, ha my work has been, or essays have been translated to uh, five uh, languages, I think. So some of them are still on there. So you may want to take a look there, but it's also on my blog. But if you're a Spanish reader, you can uh, <laughs> read some of my stuff on the Sensi Seeds blog. What if there's a grad student or something that's that's working on a paper and they want to reach out to you? Are you are you taking calls from grad students these days? Um, of course, I mean reach out to me. I I'm um, I, I'm happy to help. Uh, I don't have um, sadly. I'd I'd love to be more in a position to help more right now because uh, it's it's really tough uh, to work in that spot because. It's what I'm doing. I consider that as basic science, and of course, I've never received uh, scholarship from anywhere, uh, despite um, my academic credentials, which aren't, which which should be enough to to get some money. But um, of course, in that field, um, there's not not a lot out there. So now I've started my own hemp business, and I'm really busy to uh, you know keep my family here uh, <laughs> well fed. Yeah. So. Um, but but so I can't extensively uh, talk to people, but I, I I'm really happy to help with giving direction if people want to call me or reach out to me. I'm always happy and always happy to get feedback. Uh, there I, I've I've gotten so incredible feedback on my work for, from all over the world, which is um, always amazing to hear. And people underestimate how important it is for an author to just you know give, give some feedback, whatever critical it may be, because um, Oh, it's just uh, I want to understand how what people think about it, and, and this, this is what keeps me going. If I understand, very often people come back to me and say, "Hey, this this really changed the way I think about this, or how I did that," and that that's really important because it's not for the money. <laughs> money doesn't come from from publishing books in that realm. Right, right, but it's it's very meaningful and it's purposeful, and I think that you're going to start seeing more and more people reaching out to you because you've written some incredible books and you have more than that, like your knowledge on how to set up experiments that can measure like real tactical and real, you can get real data. And I think you're going to start seeing, especially as we begin to see it liberalized in the States, we're seeing the decrim of it. And I can see tons of new people coming up that would really benefit from a conversation with you. So I hope if you're listening and you're a grad student or you're this is a field you're thinking about doing, Sebastian is the guy to talk to. He's incredible. And I really appreciate your time today. Go check out his books in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. And that's all we got for today. Hang on briefly afterwards. I'll talk to you shortly afterwards. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you for everything today. I hope you have a wonderful day. That's all we got. Aloha.
Same from here. Thank you. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.